We're not going to read the whole chapter because it's one um, parable that almost goes the entire chapter, at least to the half of the chapter. But it's a turning point. It's a turning point of Jesus' ministry. So Jesus tells everything up to this point in plain language. That everyone can hear it and everyone can understand it. Either you respond to it or you resist it. But this is a point where Jesus starts to speak almost like he's speaking in riddles. And, it's gonna, and you're going to understand why. But if you remember last week, we left the book of Exodus. And remember what God's final instructions to his church were, uh, to his people. Um, he said this, tell Moses, he says, tell people that I'm compassionate and that I'm kind and that I am an uh, eternally loving person for thousands upon thousands of years. But, remember he said, but I will not hold the guilt of the guilty blameless. I will repay upon them to their children and their children's children. Remember that. That's not something we like to hear. It makes God sound a little, little bit distant, a little bit unfair. But the truth of the matter is he's not unfair. And he gets the right to choose what he wants. You know, one of the things that I feel like I wrestle with all the time, and I don't really wrestle with it. As a matter of fact, it's just a prompting of prayer for me. God has the right to do what he wants, whether I agree with it or not. Whether it happens to someone else or it happens to me. You know, that's an evidence that the Holy Spirit's inside of me. That's an evidence the Holy Spirit's inside of me. Because there's no human reason to praise God for attributes of his character that are frightening. There's no reason. As a matter of fact, humanly speaking, we should run far away from a God like that. And there's so many people in our world that do it. So anyways, uh, let's start at verse 11. Okay, oh, no, 10. So he gives the parable. It's, it's kind of given in a story form, and people are listening. And I feel like this happened a lot with Jesus, where they're like, and then someone taps the other guy and goes, what's he saying? And, and then they'll be good. You know, they're, they're nodding their head. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the guy goes, well, what did he say? And he's like, I, I don't know. I have no idea. So the disciples, verse 10 said, came back to Jesus in private and said, why are you speaking to the people like this in parables? Listen, he replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, listen, but not to them. Whoever has been given will be given more, and whoever has will have an abundance. But those who do not have, even what he thinks he has, it will be taken from him. And I speak to them in parables. Through seeing, they do not see, and through hearing, they do not hear, nor will they understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. For you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people has become callous and hard. Hear, they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, once again, this is really tough to understand. And I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't understand all of it. I don't understand all of it. 
I have read so many commentaries. I've listened to so many skilled teachers and, and, and lectures and, and uh, sermons. And I'm, there's no way of knowing why. He was untraceable in some level. And then it says this, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. He's making it clear. Judgment is how come. Even in John chapter 3, verse 17 down, he says the kingdom of God has been given to those who have ears to hear. And God loves the world in such a way that he gave his only son. And whoever believes in him receives him and he has eternal life. But, then he stops it with a but. And he says, those who do not receive me are already judged. That's, I think, a common misunderstanding. We're like, well, how could God do this? How could God punish this? How could God take justice or give mercy to some and not to others? The truth of the matter is justice God doing anything. It's God giving what the people wanted. That's all God has to do is to turn off the volume. That's it. He doesn't want to hear. I'm going to stop you from hearing. I'm going to let you go in peace. And I heard somebody one time, don't know if it's true, it's, a, it's not a sign of God's uh, uh, frightening aspect of his personality. It's a sign of judgment. It, it's not a sign of judgment. I mean, he said it was a sign of mercy because ultimately in the end, everyone will be held accountable to what they hear, perceive, and receive. So maybe he stops them from hearing because he's like, nope, you're, you're not wanting to listen, so I'm going to stop you from hearing so that you can't be held accountable any more than you are. I don't know about that. So then it goes on to this, but blessed are your eyes because you see and your ears do hear, and, and for I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men have longed to see what, they, what you see, but they did not see it, and to hear what you have heard, but they have not heard it. Listen, now this is what the parable of the sower means. Anyone who hears this message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown into the heart. And the seed sown among the path that was shallow soil, this is the one who receives the seed that fell on rocky places. But this man who hears it, they receive it with joy, but it has no root, and it only lasts for a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who receives the word and fell, and it fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life, listen, and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it out, making it unfruitful. That's something that really has got to, man, I'm telling you, it speaks to me. It's like I stop right there. But the one who receives the seed that fell on good soil is the man or woman who hears the word, understands it, and it produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. He said, those, let those who have ears hear. I want to remind you of two things. In the final and parting words God says to his people, he says, I am the God who called you out of slavery. One of the things that I've learned, don't know if you've learned this about yourself, but I know this about me, there are certain aspects of slavery that damage me, but I am drawn to. See, salvation for me is not just a great idea. 
if Jesus didn't come to do what he did for me, I have nothing. I have nothing. I desire naturally to be enslaved. I desire to be enslaved to my own desires. And they have proven to me to be poison, poisonous wells. But he says this, for I have the one who called you out of Egypt. I have called you out of slavery, and you will be for me a kingdom of priests. You will be for me a holy nation. He tells Moses, these are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Let's fast forward 1,500 years. Because it appears to me when I read this statement, Jesus, or yes, it is Jesus. He is the speaker. He's speaking to Moses. He's, he's saying, uh, this is now the mission of my people. The ones who have ears to hear, this is the mission that I'm calling them to. I've called them out, and I've called them to go. Out and go. 1,500 years, Peter now gets the completion, the rest of the story. Who here is, don't, I won't say it, but you've got to be a little older. There's a guy named Paul Harvey. Anybody know who Paul Harvey is? He's a guy who tell you these like obscure facts. He, he'd start a story out telling you about some guy in history. You're like, yeah, I knew that. And then he goes, and now here's the rest of the story. One of the things we have to understand about the work of God is it is a mystery. What does that mean? That means that it is unfolding. So in the beginnings of the mystery, just like in a movie or a book, you get information and you see things, but you don't understand fully what's happening. You have to work through the entire story to get to the end so you can look back and go, oh, now I get it. Peter is seeing the end of the story. He is brought to memory those verses. You are to be for me a kingdom of priests. But now he sees it from this side, not from the beginning side. He sees Jesus here, and he's like, wait a minute, now I get it. And he says to this, to the people of his first epistle, he says this, but you are a chosen race. Chosen. You have been picked by God. And you know what? It's not a race of ethnic nationalities. It's a race of chosen people. Like I've said this before, and I want us to get this in our head, because for me, it is a huge motivator. That idea that I've been chosen motivates me. It separates from me. Because like I said, in my flesh, I desire slavery. That doesn't go away once I got saved. There's just now a bigger voice on this side that says, but you are a chosen people. So when I feel like I'm going this way, I hear, but Tom, you are a chosen people. And I go, you know what? You're right, Tom. Does that make sense? So he says this, Peter says, but you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people that are called to be his possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. Think about darkness. It's confusion. You know, one of the things that I, I used to be afraid of my basement. I had the creepiest basement I had. And my, we used to have the craziest lights. I don't want to take too long. But it was all chain lights. So it was like 50 chain lights. And the, all the lights would be on. And my dad would go, eh, the lights are on. Tom, go down there and shut them off. I'm like, it was always 9 o'clock at night. 
So I'd have to go through all the other lights to get to that last light. Click, click, click. Click, 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 click. And we used to have this crazy, you know, the heater that had the... Uh, so I was always waiting for someone to pop out behind that thing and grab me. Even, I mean, even until I was like 12 years old. But I remember I hated the darkness. Why do we hate the darkness? Because there's a lot of unknown things there. You know, we rarely see darkness here. Do you know one of the all-time punishments that has ever been given by man to man, is when they take a human being and throw them in a place and deprive them of any light for a long period of time, it messes with you. It messes with your sense of, of, of orientation. Uh, it, it kind of it's of nothingness and fear all the time. Like you almost think maybe someone could be right here, even though you don't know. You know what I'm talking about? But he has called us out of darkness, and he has called us into his marvelous light. I want you to understand, the first was a name and a calling. The second one is an identity and a definition. I have to live with the reality that I have been called out. I have been chosen. I have been picked. Why did he pick me? I don't know. He should have picked thousands of other people. But I... Guarantee you, he didn't look around and say, you're pretty, you're not. You're smart, you're dumb. You're strong, you're weak. You're talented, you're not. That is not going through God's mind at any period of time. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians tells us that he chooses people counter to what the world would think is the right way to pick people. But I know this, he picks. And for me, it creates an identity. And I want you to remember that this is your identity. What was the identity? That you would be a people of his own possession. I remember when I told this story, I was, uh, I was an elder at my first church. The guy who was in charge of the youth was there for four years. He had a tear in with him. He goes, I can't do this anymore. I got to move on. He goes, okay. He goes, I'm picking Tom to be my leader. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I didn't even work here for today. So I remember the meeting. We were all in the meeting. Well, Santos goes, I'm, I'm leaving. And everyone's like, aw. And then he goes, and I've picked a new leader. Now those people there, I know it. There was one person in particular who thought he was going to get there. There was a twist. And then Asa, who was the senior pastor, went, this is the guy that we're picking. Know that he's going to lead us in the right direction. And their faces were not happy. Can I tell you something? One of the biggest things that you learn in the presence of God is who you really are. Because we like to hide things about ourselves, and religion will give us good makeup to do it. Oh, I'll paint myself with gold. <laughs> but in reality, when the pressure comes, what's in me leaks out. And everyone goes, Yeah, I smell that. What is that? Well, that's from the pressure. So that's the truth. And I remember it. And, but this whole idea that Asa put his hand on me and he picked me, it encouraged me because for the next year and six months, they resisted me. Everything I wanted to do, they were like, that's the wrong way. We're not doing this. Why are you doing this? And they'd all stand on one side of the room and stand on the other. And I'd be like, and you know what? 
I can remember going, I'm done. Every week, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. And God goes, who called you? Them or me? And I was like, yeah, but. And he goes, yeah, but nothing. Stand firm. Doesn't feel good. Now you know how I feel. You know what? I'm telling you. That's what kept me standing firm. And you know what? Can I tell you something? It kept me standing firm for 26 years. It keep you standing firm when you realize that you've been chosen. You've been Because now this is your identity. This is your identity. The parable of the four soils is told to us in three of the four Gospels. This tells me that it is pretty important. When you hear this, you're getting three out of the four guys. Matthew, Peter, and Paul. You're like, no, it's Mark and Luke. No, those weren't their Gospels. Peter gave Luke his Gospel. and No, Paul gave Luke his Gospel, and Peter gave Mark his Gospel. So they spent time together, and they were just kind of going over the story as they were being told it. But they were being led by the Holy Spirit to say the same story three times. I've told you before, there's a law in all biblical interpretation. It's called the law of proportion. When God says it a lot, he wants you to listen close. It's just like when you're a kid, you're a kid your mother tells you, don't forget this, don't forget this, don't forget this, don't forget this, and then you forget it. And then when you get out of the house, you're like, man, I should have listened, right? Because it's important. And God is telling us, something incredibly important. Um, It struck deeply into the hearts of these men, and it marked the turning point. It revealed to me, and I think to us, everything we need to know about Jesus' mission. Jesus, even though he is saving, he is separating sheep from goats. Sheep from goats. Everything we need to know about human beings and the people we are sent to shepherd is being told to us right here. I am told to continue the work of cultivating the ground, sowing seeds into the ground as they've been given to me. I am not in charge of who will hear me. I am not in charge of who will come. I am not in charge of what will grow. I am called to be a faithful sower of seed. That means when you guys came out on that Tuesday night and I had to work on Lakeshore Drive and two people came out, you were doing what God told you to do. You had a seed, bag of seeds, and you were sowing them. Two came out. It it, didn't please God. I believe it pleased God. This also tells me a whole lot about how I'm supposed to live my life. You know, one of the things that I can remember thinking when I first started the launch, when I launched five years ago, or it's been six years now, at Norwich, when I launched over there, I can remember we had in the very beginning, because we do these, we do it in like drips, right? And the very first six weeks, it was just the 19 people who left with me from, from Portage Park. We would have nobody coming in. And people were like, geez, nobody, we didn't even know we were on. And uh, it was funny, and I can remember I, I would look, because I would come from the back and I would count as I was coming up, but I would never say I would count. You know why I felt it wasn't fair, it wasn't religious enough? Oh, no, if you have faith, you never count. Oh, I counted. <laughs> wow. Deep down inside, I thought if a lot of people came, that would make me successful. successful 
I was doing it for Jesus, but I was taking 10% instead. And you know what? I remember coming up, heard it right in my ear. Would you still do this if 25 people were all congregational? I don't know if I want to glory, Sam, but I wanted people to come, and I thought if you followed Jesus, I could look in the mirror and go, you see, Tom, they were wrong. You were wrong. You weren't a loser. And Jesus goes, you're not a loser. You're the one I called. You're my son. That doesn't change. If you have a church of 25 or 2,500, that's inconsequential. Did you do what I called you to do? Did you act according to the identity that I've given you? That's the measure. That's the measure. And this reminds me to tell us this is the measure for our lives. We've got to get out of the, the comparison trap. Or we have to be able to expose the reality of our broken heart and conscience before God and each other. Because that's the only way that it'll lose its power. See, I confess all the time, not to shock you, so that it has no more power. Tell you stuff. You're like, pastor shouldn't say that stuff. Well, I do. You know why? Because I'm called by him. I love you, and that's what my calling is, to love you. But I can't love you unless I love him more. That's just a fact. And you know what? That can be followed all the way down into your home. I can love my children apart from God, but my love will become destructive and possessive. I will love them in hopes that I receive back. But when I recognize and accept that it's him, all about their love back to me becomes inconsequential i love them because they're a gift and because this is my way of loving christ by loving back does that make sense all right let's keep moving forward we got a little bit of a way to go and i don't want to get too far behind so let's look at the first thing because there's a first lesson for us to see first is first and this is it. Salvific truth is not easily understood. When Jesus talked from that point on, people were like, huh? What? And from that point on, he had gathered and gained probably upwards of 50,000 people who were coming out to see him on a regular basis. From that point on, they started to peel away. Why? Because they couldn't understand and what they did understand, they didn't like. So they're like, you know, I got to go back. I like it. I, you know, if you showed me something more, give me a better sign, maybe I'll make a decision. And you know what Jesus would say? No more signs. No more signs for you. Now you're just going to hear the truth, and either your ears are going to receive it or they're not. They're not. So people start to peel away. And why is that? Because salvific truth is different from any other truth. Salvific truth is not meant to be passed on. It is intended to get us to surrender and to submit. See, what did Paul say? The letter of the law in a broken heart puffs up the human heart. Look what I know. Look how I've accomplished. Look how I hold on to the doctrines of truth and how much I know of the Bible. But he says it's the spirit that edifies. 
He's saying it's what's inside that allows you to take that word in such a way that it's like a seed and it starts to grow things in my life. It pulls it out. Does that make sense? And we're going to talk about at the end of what it pulls out. The disciples were confused. The crowds were confused. They were deafened. But, and one of the things that I think is great about the Bible is there's tons of buts. Buts. They're going in this direction. This is the fact. But, 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 but what? God steps in. I was going in a direction off a cliff, and God stepped in. And he said, wait, stop. You're going off a cliff. Yeah, I know, but I got to go. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, no. That's not what you were born for. Yes, I was born for this. This is what I want. He's like, no, you won't. I won't let you. But, can I tell you something? That's how everyone got here. Nobody woke up on the Sunday morning and said, you know what? I'm going to follow Jesus. The only person who comes to follow Jesus is the one who's been chased by Jesus. The one who's been interrupted by Jesus. And that's what's happening. Jesus has interrupted and he has grabbed hold of certain people. Why is it important for God and only God to open up my eyes to see things as they are? Here's the reason. Because human beings, and I am at the top of the list, are inclined to operate in what's called confirmational bias. You know what that means? No matter what I hear, I can make it say what I want it to say. That's why this is an incredible tool to bring goodness, and it could be an incredible tool to bring cults. That's a fact. People have used this word to beat people down, to kill them, to enslave them. That's not what this book's done to me. This book liberated me. This book fights for me. This book stops me dead in my tracks. Everybody put it down. See, that's the difference. That's the difference between religion and salvation. When I operate in confirmational bias, it's for one reason. I like what I like, and I can easily manipulate any information I receive to agree with me. And I can also reason away anything that exists in me. That's why it's so difficult to come to agreement in the church. You know why? Because those persons that have seen it happen, and you've been around for a while, you know it's true. They go, but the Lord told me. I'm like, maybe. I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. All I know is this. It's the Lord who's placed me here. He's given us a hierarchy, and we have to kind of follow the hierarchy. If the hierarchy or the leadership gets outside of the will of God, the written will, clear, plain, understanding will of God, then you're supposed to deal with it. But remember, people have a tendency to do, they like what they like. Isn't this true, or is it just me? All right, well, give me an, an amen on that then. All right. Listen to what this guy, Robertson Davies, said. He's a, 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 he was a 20th century author. He says, the eyes see only what the mind is prepared to comprehend. The truth of the matter is, it says it in John chapter 1. The light has come into the world, but men have not overcome it. What does that mean? That means the light of God came into their midst, clothed themselves in flesh and blood, just like us. Men saw the light, but they're like, what the heck is that light? What is it? I don't even know what it is, and I don't even know how to use it. 
It would be like me going back 250 years with a chainsaw. How much would that have made the life of the pioneers easier? They wouldn't have known what it was. They wouldn't have had nothing to plug it into. Jesus came into the world. They had the word of God. Israel had the word of God for 2,000 years. And they couldn't even understand. He was standing before them. Why? They had eyes that were purposefully closed. It's coming. We've got to remember this. This is why we are to proclaim the excellencies of God. Why? Because of what he said. But the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you. God opened up your eyes. Not because you're better or you tried harder or you're more worthy. Just because he did. This is exactly right. He loves them. Jesus was telling the religious, the religious leaders and the moral majority who were the prevalent people who were coming out at the time that they had eyes that were blind and ears that were deaf. They didn't want to understand what God was telling them, so they closed their ears and they closed their eyes. This gives me an example. Everything in life gives me an example. Good example, bad example. I see generosity. I'm like, man, I want to follow generosity. I see my wife who is a sacrificial lover. You know what a sacrificial lover is? Someone who does something for someone else without any assurance of what they want to come out of it. Does that make sense? You love them, and no matter what happens, you're just like, I love you, and I'm going to do this no matter what. I want this to happen, but if it doesn't, you can change it. So I want that. But there's also clear examples that I see in the church of things that I don't want to follow. I don't personally like pastors. I'm sorry. I don't. I'm sorry. I know it sounds terrible. We got some great ones. Sometimes you can't get near them. I feel like it's easy to not, it's easy to teach or preach or lead from up here, but very difficult to lead from down here. I want to be that leader. You know why? I don't think any of you do. There's only one star in the church. That's Jesus Christ. You know, I don't, I don't need polish. I need conviction. Right? I don't need good speech skills. I hate when people go, great speech, Pastor. I'm like, that's what that was? I got to go back to the drawing board. Because, man, I'm not a speech giver. I trip over my tongue all the time. So Jesus was telling them that they had ears and eyes that wouldn't see because they had closed them. All right, let's go right into interpretation. Who is the sower of the seed? Jesus is the sower of the seed. Why? Why is that important? Because God desires a yield and a harvest out of my life. He desires it. He wants me to live in a particular way. Why? Because he wants to share. The first miracle Jesus gave was at the wedding of Cana. What did it tell you? God wants to celebrate our life with us. I knew this guy years ago when I was, uh, I got saved at 31, so about 32 years old. He used to tell me, God doesn't want to be an eavesdropper on your life. He wants to watch. He wants to sit. He wants to walk. He wants to celebrate. God desires something out of your life. He desires to see married couples love each other. He loves when family parties come together. I went to a family party for a few minutes yesterday, and a son-in-law prayed before the meal and boldly mentioned the name of Jesus Christ. I don't know who was there or not. 
Do you know what? There's always that fear, isn't there? When you name Jesus boldly in public, you're like, will someone think I'm a weirdo? Will I be pushed away? Will I be rejected? Everyone's felt it. Man, it was bold. Can I tell you something? Jesus was pleased. He was like, that's my boy. When we love properly, when his love prompts us to live sacrificially, that's when he's like, wow, that, that, how that makes me happy. You know? All right. This is another aspect of that. My life and your life will produce a crop one way or the other. It's an inescapable truth. It's going to produce either good fruit or bad. Jesus says there's a tree. Every life is a tree. So some will produce bad fruit and some will produce good fruit. It's going to be produced. So i got to remember that. Once again, this is a prompter of prayer. It reminds me to go back to prayer. Lord God, I want good fruit in my life. You know what the big good fruits in my life is? I want better the second half than I did in the first. You know, when your kids are little, when, remember the weight you felt? You're like, oh my gosh, I have to pay for everything, and I have to, you know, I have to be everywhere, and I have to do this, and I have to do that. And you love them, but they're kind of like a weight. Amen? Just a little bit. You're like, yeah, I love you, but you're heavy, kid. My back's hurting from carrying you around. But now I think to myself, when foolishly I look back and said, <laughs> sometimes I do. Remember, you grabbed me out of dysfunction. I would feel down like a heavy cloud. Now I look at my kids. They come over every other weekend. Every other weekend, they're all there. We were carving pumpkins the other day. We were laughing, joking, just being with each other. And I'm like, And you know what? I couldn't look in the mirror and go, look what you did, Dad. Because I didn't. I did opposite of that. My wife might be able to try to grab a little of the the, uh, the glory. Yeah, maybe. But me, no. But I'm telling you, that's what, I, that's what God wants from our life. All right, let's look at the seed. What is the seed? The seed isn't just teaching from God. It's the teaching about God. I read a great book a long time ago from a guy named John Piper. John Piper's hard to understand. He's a hyper-thinker. I'm a hyper-thinker. He's a hyper-thinker on steroids. And he explained that Jesus isn't just a message. The gospel isn't just a message. Jesus is the embodiment of the message. He is. Remember what I said? Truth, salvific truth, is not just passing on information. It's not me graduating from a class. It's saying, okay, I got A here, B here, C here, and yes, I get a certificate at the end, and now I pass, and now I can go on to the next thing. No, no, no. It's meant to get me to surrender. Jesus is the message. The seed is him. He's saying, I've come, and if your eyes are open, and you've really been trying to follow me, what you know deep in your heart is, I just can't do it. I failed too many times. There's just too many things broken inside of me to even give you one moment of all my undivided love. That's my biggest warning. I can't love God with an undivided heart. Not one minute. Why? This is why I was given life. But yet, no, I've never done it. Tried it. He goes, here I am. Here's the answer. 
I'm here. I'm here to rescue you. Jesus is the message. He is the seed of God. You know what I've learned about this? Anyone can follow rules outwardly while all the while being resentful on the inside, aloof on the inside, self-centered on the inside, prideful on the inside. Remember this, and it always reminds me when I read the Gospels that the most religious and the moral people in the country were the ones most hostile to him. You know why? Because he was the light. They thought their clothes were perfect. And he showed their light, and they like, yeah, you thought that was really great, right? All beautiful and white and blameless. There's a tear here, there's dirt here, there's oil there, there's oh, scars everywhere. And they would look down, and they're like, I don't want to see that, I don't want to see that. So they hated Christ. They said, I don't want you here. What are you coming here? To condemn me, to judge me, after all I've done? And he said, if you really knew, that's a gift of heaven. You wouldn't have done anything for me. You would have done things because I've done it for you. See, that's what God wants from our life. When God wants me to be a forgiving person, because that's fruit. You know why? Because he wants me to go back through the thousands upon thousands of times where he said, yeah, caught you red-handed, but Hands burnt up, right? Yeah, I let you burn your hands up, but I love you. Love you. I died for you. I rescued that whole thing. You know, everything comes out of what he started. God desires obedience from our lives that is produced by love. God is calling us to him. Let's look at the first seed. It falls upon hard ground. This is important. Why is the ground hard? He tells us. It's trampled on. It's walked on repeatedly. When we live, and this is where we live, in a cursed and fallen world, that means it's easy for our hearts to become hard. Can you give a testimony to that truth? Man, life's tough. Life is hard. It can naturally harden the human heart. It can oftentimes be a very hostile place. I don't want to seem like I'm down on the world. But man, I see people give the best of themselves for a place that's literally poison. It's eroding under their feet. And I'm like, why? Why are you giving your whole life, the juice of your existence for that which is worthless? That's the thing that causes a heart to mourn. <laughs> man, so that... Falls on the hard ground. Why is it uh, easy to become uh, hardened on, uh, on a cursed world? Because human beings oftentimes reject other human beings. Many of the people in this room have been rejected by others for no reason. Made huge impacts and dents in their life. People dislike other people for no other reason than they just don't like them. I, 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 I could give you a list of people who just didn't like me. Thank you. Um, people abandon other people. Even people they love. They should love. They find it easy to justify. Many people here have been victimized by abandonment. They, people have a tendency to manipulate one another. They have a tendency to exploit one another. 
The world can be a confusing place. Sometimes you can feel very alone. Has anyone ever here felt very alone, even opening that shirt? Sometimes you can feel very misunderstood. Have you felt very understood, misunderstood? That's why one of the great things that God has taught me is to keep my mouth shut when I'm in communication. My kids wouldn't talk to me. Talk to their mom about every problem in the world. Never come to me. I won't they come to me. And my wife goes, because you're trying to fix all of them. Listen to this. You know why it's important? God takes note of that. Do you? But you know what's better for me to do? Understand? Because I know someone who's done this. Because he's proven it. And you know what? I'm telling you, it works. It's, it works. Uh, it's easy to feel disillusioned. It's easy to feel cheated here. It's easy to feel left out here. It's easy to reject God because we feel he's rejected us first. So many people walk out of the church because they're like, I was left. I was neglected. I wasn't given. Nobody cared. When I was at my lowest, Nobody was there for me. They might be aiming their finger at the church, but they're really aiming it at God. Interesting. So the message of God to these people, the message of love and grace falls on deaf ears. Their lives are never compelled by the truth of the gospel. All right, this is the second soil. It falls on shallow soil. That means they hear it and they rejoice. It pops up quickly, but largely it's an emotional response. That means I hear it. It's like, oh my gosh, God loves me. That's crazy. This is the best thing I could have ever, ever heard. And then boom, boom, it pops up. And every Christian who's been around for a while embraces you, right? Man, they're like, oh man, you're like the fresh air in this place. Come here, I want you to meet this guy. And you're, you're like a star in the church. This guy just was a gangbanger, a drug addict. He heard the gospel. He came forward. He got baptized. I want you to meet him. Following me is tough. You know why? You have to live life that says no to you so you can say yes to me. That's hard. Amen? So you know what they do? They leave. So I got this. There's four things that we can learn from this. I'm sorry, I got so much stuff out of this. But once again, not talented. Desiring. You desire, you pour so much food on your plate. So I have to strive. I have to strive to depend on him and him only. That means I have to say no to half in measure. I cannot be half in, I cannot be half out. Either I'm all in or I'm all out. Number two, I have to strive toward finding my security in him. I have to strive toward finding my identity in him. I have to strive for finding my value in him. Because if I don't find my value, security, and identity in him, I'll look for somewhere else to get it. Here's another one. I have to strive toward desiring his will over my comfort and my presence, uh, my preference, and sometimes even my own pleasure. The crop is choked out in lives because of competing priorities. Jesus lets you and me know that when you're with me, you can't serve two masters. You could be imperfect because guess what? That's all you're ever going to be here on this earth. That doesn't give me a license to continue in imperfection. I have to strive. You know why? Because I know what's valuable. 
Let's stand up as we think about what this was. What is this good soil? It's something that produces a good crop. Truth and grace that is sown into a person who is poor in spirit. You know what a poor in spirit person is? This is. This is what a poor in spirit is. Someone who comes to God with an empty hand and says, God goes, what do you want? And he goes, everything. Well, what do you have to give me? I, I don't have anything. What, what reason should I listen to you? I don't have no reason. I don't just simply come. You know why? Just like David said in Psalm 51. Because I know that you're tender hearted and merciful. That's the spirit. You know what Jesus says to that one? Boom! There it is. Doors open for you. Come on in. Crazy stuff is grown in those lands. And you know what? Being poor in spirit, not the instant I get to believe. It's every day. That's what I strive for. So as we worship, I pray for that poor of spirit heart. I pray for the striving heart, and I want you to as well. Let's, let's worship.